is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with the Master of Divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the Faith Debate Master of Ceremonies, (laughs) Troy Skinner. Last week we began the first in a three-part series of looking at end times, the last days, eschatology. And if you're somewhat of a student of these sorts of things, but you know not deep in the weeds on it, then this will be really helpful to you. Maybe you've heard some of the terms before, but you're not exactly sure what all the different terms mean, and you, you've always kind of wondered, or you have you know friends who talk about things that uh, you haven't heard a whole lot about before, and you want to know, what are they talking about? This is going to help you. So last week we talked about primarily what we started talking about, post-millennialism and what that all means. And you can find that podcast at WFMD.com. You can also find it on our Facebook page, on my personal Facebook page and other places on the internet and we also started getting into what dispensational views are that view has so many different facets and and can be quite complex and so we're spending more time on that than the other views and so we're going to pick up where we left off on dispensationalism this week before we get into the ah millennial point of view as well so buckle up we're in for a good ride here on the faith debate on 930 wfmd now what makes this even more complicated is within the dispensational premillennial view, which has the, the classical, progressive, traditional, grace movement, and other stripes and flavors of dispensationalism, within all of that, those little subgroups, you then have to split them even further depending on the timing of the tribulation. So some of them are pre-tribulation, some of them are mid-tribulation, some of them are post-tribulation. And so a pre-tribulation view says that Christians are removed, that rapture we talked about, are removed from the planet through the secret rapture of the church before the tribulation. So it's pre-tribulational, pre-millennialism. <laughs> okay? And then you've got the mid-tribulation view, which has a variant, by the way, that's called the pre-wrath view. I'm not going to spend any time on that, but just so you know, if somebody mentions pre-wrath they're talking essentially about the mid-trib view, the mid-tribulation. By the way, that's shorthand. You'll hear pre-trib, mid-trib, post-mill, ah-mill, pre-mill. So if you hear those, those are just shorthand for the longer words that I'm using. So a mid-tribulation, pre-millennial dispensational view says that Christians, they're removed from the planet through a rapture, so very similar to the pre-tribulation guys, but it happens at the midway point, at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the seven-year tribulation that they're expecting. And then post-tribulation, you've probably figured it out. It says that the the, the rapture of the church comes in combination with the the, uh, final general resurrection of of all believers, and that all of this happens after the seven-year tribulation. So... Some final comments on this section because I want to. I, I, one, it's complicated and it takes a lot of uh, energy to try to understand and grapple with all these moving parts and these differentiations and stuff. So I wanted to spend some time just to deal with that, but I also want to make sure we spend some time because this is the prevailing view in the American church. Most American Christians would be. Well, and, they, and most will be pre-trib, by the way. So most American Christians that you run across are going to, if they understand what their end times view is, not all of us as Christians 
have a formulated view. But if we do, we're more likely than not in America going to be pre-tribulation, pre-millennial dispensationalists. Why is that? Because it's a view that's actually a minority view worldwide. Most Christians around the world are not pre-trib, pre-mill dispensationalists. But in America, most of us are. Why would that be? Well, a short aside for a history lesson. I mentioned C.I. Schofield as one of the proponents in a big mouthpiece for this movement. Um, have you ever heard of the Schofield Reference Bible? It's a big part of why if this is a prevailing view in America. So back in the 1800s, uh, you had the, 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 the rise of, uh, of modern-day uh, psychology and uh, uh, the very, very, very early forerunners of what has now become known as postmodernist philosophical worldview. You had Darwinian, uh, Darwinian evolutionism. So you had the theory of evolution in the 1800s. You started to have uh, splinter groups that were... I don't mean this uh, in the way we typically think about cults, meaning you drink the Kool-Aid and you die, but cults in the more theologically, clinically descriptive way, meaning they're claiming to be Christian, but they're a variant so far afield that, it, that they, 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 uh, they disavow or completely misunderstand the fundamental core beliefs of Christianity, and those we call those Christian cults. Um, some of those groups have dithered away or reinvented themselves. Some of them are still around. We know who they are. The, the Jehovah's Witnesses would be an example. The, 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 uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormons. But this is all happening in the 1800s. And so those who are Bible believers, and they believe in those core tenets of the faith and the foundational fundamentals of Christian belief, they wanted to react against the Darwinism, you know, the evolution and these these cultic moves and and uh, and, and uh, what evolved into higher critical thinking. Oh, they, wanted to do, they wanted to fight back and protect the gospel, and so they emphasized the fundamentals of the faith, which is where we get the phrase, the fundamentalists. So if somebody calls you a fundamentalist Christian, usually in today's world, they're wagging their finger and it's, it's a pejorative, they're accusing you of something bad. Usually, I mean, you're narrow-minded, small-minded, not that smart, you're argumentative, you're, you're just silly, you know, you're, you don't get it. Your opinion doesn't matter. Like, so that's what it means now. But back then, they labeled themselves fundam uh, fundamentalists because they were getting back to the fundamentals. They were proud. But that understanding of what it meant got twisted over time. Anyway, so with all of this, the evolution, all the other stuff, and the, and the fundamentalists wanting to really press into what does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean? They were reading their Bible, but they, they, they wanted some help in how to understand it. And the best-selling, most popular Bible in America during that period of time was the Schofield Reference Bible. And Schofield was a pre-tribulationist, pre-millennialist, dispensationalist. And so all of his notes in that, his commentary on the scriptures, all of the notes that help you understand what you're reading, explain the dispensations. So here you have the, the dispensation of law, and here you have the parenthetical church age. And so... We had generations of Christians in America cut their teeth on and grow up on that sort of a teaching. And so it was, and this was the best-selling Bible in America, not worldwide. So while the rest of the world was pretty much either post-millennial or historic premillennial or amillennial, America over time became predominantly 
pre-trib, pre-mill dispensationalist. Now, in a practical sense, um, this has had a great influence on our nation as a whole. It has, it has affected um, our politics, who gets elected for president, how we interact on the international stage, how we handle the Middle East. Because remember, the dispensationalists place a huge emphasis on ethnic Israel, the nation state, the Jewish state. That's a huge deal for them. And then they got gathered momentum for their movement when in 1948, Israel, which hadn't existed for forever, all of a sudden is a state again, a nation state again, and all the dispensationalists went, aha, Schofield was right. See, it's happening. The last days are happening. We needed there to be uh, an, an Israel again and Jerusalem to be the capital city again so the temple could be rebuilt again so they could offer sacrifices again uh, so that they could re receive their Messiah, who they rejected before. And so all of this plays out in very practical ways as you watch the news. And most Americans are very pro-Israel, and I would argue rightfully so, uh, even if only for geopolitical national security reasons. It's the only de uh, democratic state in the Middle East. They've been the most loyal ally of America for the last 60, 70, 80, however long they've been around now, uh, 72 years. Um, and so for a lot of reasons, and then the strategic location of where they are and the impact with, with relation to Syria and Iraq and Iran, and, uh, and back in the 70s, Egypt and Jordan. So it's, had a, it's, it's prime real estate. It's an important issue. And so Americans, I would argue, should be pro-Israel in a general sense anyway. But then you add the theological weight that the dispensationalists bring to the table, and it's a no-brainer. You have to support Israel or you're not a Christian, according to this view. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying they're right. I will tell you, I'm not a dispensationalist. So what am I? I am an amillennialist. So what is amillennialism? So going back to the words, uh, mille, Latin means 1,000. So that's where we get the mille, millennialism, millennial, thousand year period of time. And ah, what does the ah, what does the letter A before millennial mean? Well, in Latin, it's a prefix. It's a negation prefix. Um, like in, uh, in America, we have prefixes like un and non. You know, um, I, I, so you can say it's non-millennial, unmillennial, not millennial. Uh, no millennial sometimes is how people mistakenly understand this view. They say, oh, all millennialists don't think there's a millennium. They say there's no millennium. Well, that's crazy. The Bible clearly teaches a millennium. There's a, it says so right in Revelation. You guys are heretics. Uh, anybody who would claim there's no millennium would be on that issue a heretic. There's no doubt. But that's not the all-millennial position. Um there is a reign of Christ, and, and, and there is a co-reign with Christ of his righteous, righteous saints on earth. There is a millennium. But how do you understand the millennium? Well, people holding this view, the amillennial view, they interpret the, uh, the thousand-year period of time, the thousand years of the millennium, to be symbolic, uh, rather than a literal 365,000 days. So Christ does return physically to reign, uh, that's going to happen, but he has already begun to reign. He is king right now over his millennial kingdom, ruling from heaven. And again, he's going to come again, but he's ruling now, and he's going to continue to reign forever in a new heaven and earth. And so therefore, it's not an exact thousand years. It's just a representative number for a very long period of time. 
Uh, one of the reasons, I'll get into some of the more, uh, scriptural reasons for this, but one of the reasons why these theologians, people like me, feel like we can get away with this is understanding the ancient languages the Bible was written in and uh, the Jewish language, at least the ancient Jewish language, I'm not sure about present-day contemporary Jewish language, but the, the now dead language that was what, how Judaism, uh, how, Jew, how the Jewish language uh, was spoken and written thousands of years ago, the biggest number they had a word for was a thousand. They didn't have a word like we have the word a million, a billion, a trillion, a zillion. They didn't have those words. So to them, if I wanted, you know, remember Carl Sagan is uh, he had those uh, those PBS specials back in the 70s. He talked about the cosmos, and it was billions and billions of years. You know, to him, the billions, big years. Now we talk about the national debt, trillions. We use these big words. With how, how big is our national debt? Trillions. I, I don't even know what that means. I mean, think about it. <laughs> a million is a, is uh, a, a billion is a thousand billions. And a trillion is a thousand billions. I mean, you can't even comprehend these, these numbers. So we've got names for these numbers, not that we comprehend what the numbers mean. But anyway, for, for the ancient culture, a thousand was like the biggest number they could fathom trying to count up to. So there were just many, many, many thousands. And I'll swing back to that um, in, in just a second. So, uh, amillennialism teaches that the church, which is comprised of those who believe and, and their children, right, the children of the believers, uh, the, the offspring, the ongoing, we're being fruitful and multiplying, the church is multiplying. So anybody who comes to belief um, is the church. And amillennialists, they're expecting um, that we've got this church, a faithful remnant, fighting the good fight within the church, but there is there's still this cycle of recurring and perhaps even increasing lawlessness in the world. Uh, and so there is an apostasy. Uh, from the truth in the broader culture, but also an apostasy from the truth within the, uh, what I would argue are the merely professing churches, the unfaithful churches, those that aren't truly churches, but have all the accoutrements that they, they seem to be the churches, but they're, they're not really. Uh, Amelios would believe that the, the establishment of the kingdom of, uh, of Antichrist over the entire world is coming, and in some senses maybe he's already come in different uh, incarnations and periods in time. Uh, there is great tribulation, and this great tribulation uh, will impact all, including those who fear God. Uh, Amonios believe that there's a sense in which we're living through tribulation even now, and that the church has been living through periods of heightened uh, tribulation and martyrdom and those sorts of things throughout its history. Um, And so the world is in sin. There's cycles of sin. Most Almanos believe that there's this steady ramping up and a more full development of sin uh, over time, even though Christ is reigning now and hasn't yet returned in, in absolute fullness of his glory. But that day is coming. So... Uh, I mentioned that some people misunderstand what amillennialists believe because of the term amillennialism. Uh, and so some people with the amill or amill view prefer now millennialism or uh, realized millennialism. I mentioned these in case you see a blog post or a book that talks about now millennialism or realized millennialism. That's the amillennial view. 
Uh, on written form, it'd be nice if realized millennialism could become the accepted term, but I think that boat has sailed. This is going to forever be known as amillennialism, for better or for worse. Um, so amillennialists, um, in distinction really from the, the other views, uh, emphasize that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Uh, it's in this world, but it's not of this world. And, and amillennialists would cite passages such as Matthew chapter 12 uh, verse 28 where Jesus he's, he drives out demons and this is evidence that the kingdom of God has come so the kingdom is, is there then uh, Luke chapter 17 verses 20 and 21 Jesus warns of the coming of the kingdom of God and says that it, it cannot be observed there's there's a spiritual element of the kingdom that we in, in the world right now cannot see and grasp um and Jesus says in that Luke passage, in fact, that, the, that the, the kingdom is already then and there, as he's talking, among the people. The kingdom is there, present among them. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, uh, Paul there speaks of the kingdom of God in terms of the actions of Christians. Christians are doing the work of the kingdom, in the kingdom, for the advance of the kingdom, in service to their king of the kingdom. Uh, so those are the reasons why the amillennialists feel confident and comfortable in their view, even though they're a minority uh, view within the the broader church. Um, now, what about the thousand years? Because sometimes it says a thousand years, and if the Bible is literally true, then it must literally be a thousand years. Well, the thousand years, the millennium, that word it shows up in Revelation, which is famous for its uh, poetic. Uh, um, broad brushstroke symbolic language and so it's it should be read the whole book of revelation given the kind of literature that it is should be read with that in mind and so i don't know anybody that takes every image and symbol in revelation and makes it literal like you've probably heard about the dispensations they talk about you know the, there's going these these locusts and they say oh that's going to be the helicopters now, wait a minute, if you're going to be a literalist and a firm literalist, then you're going to have to say, no, no, locusts don't mean helicopters, locusts mean locusts. If you're going to tell me millennium must mean a thousand years, then locusts must mean locusts. So nobody is purely a woodenly literalist. I'm a literalist, but here's how literalists, literalism uh, classically is defined, how I understand and use the word. Everything in the Bible is literally true. The Bible is a literary work. So how do we understand literature? So if we understand the literature to say something is literally true, we need to interact with it given the genre of writing and type of literature that it is. We don't read poetry and history and news reports and prophecy and legal code and the yellow pages the same way. We come at them with different expectations. We identify, oh, this is the yellow pages. This is not going to have anything that rhymes. It's, it's not going to tell a story. I should interpret it as a list of data and facts. You read poetry, you go, oh, okay, this is going to probably have a lot of metaphor and allusions and things like that, so I'm not going to read it as though it's narrative, as though it's a, a story that's being told. It's, it's maybe a song to be sung or a, a poem to be meditated upon. You're, you're going to think about the literature differently. Well, Revelation is a is a a, a very uh, almost esoteric type of writing and language and so 
The thousand years can be literally true, so there is literally a millennium, without it needing necessarily to mean it's going to be 365,000 days. So, millennialists regard the thousand years as a figurative duration of time during Christ's reign. That period of time has already begun. In fact, it has been around for at least 2,000 years now, or about 2,000 years now, and who knows how long before the second coming, and then it continues beyond, because he never stops being king. So it's just meant to represent from the time of Christ establishing himself as king over his kingdom forever. It's kind of how all millennials would look at it. And now, is there any other precedence, other than me arguing that Revelation is a distinctly unique book in the Bible that should be understood and read a particular way, is there any other place in the Bible you could point to to think in these terms? Well, are you familiar with Psalm 50, where in verse 10, it talks about the thousand hills. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So, are there exactly a thousand hills on the planet? I think there are more. If you could find a 1,001st hill on the planet, you find hill number 1,001, does God not own the cattle on that hill? Obviously, the psalmist there is telling us by saying that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Again, thousand is the biggest word, that, the, the, the only word they have for the biggest number in their language. That's a poetic way of saying God owns all the cattle on all the hills. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 15, it talks about the thousand generations to whom God is going to be faithful. Is God only going to be faithful to a thousand generations and then he's going to stop being faithful? God is faithful forever. So this is a way of saying that he is faithful to all generations to come until maybe there's never any more generations, as many generations as there are. So this is, this is a biblical, what's called a hermeneutic, a, an interpretive grid, a way of approaching the scripture. It's a, it's a biblical approach. And I'm not trying to necessarily persuade you that I must be right. I am hopefully trying to persuade you that it's possible I could be right, and so I don't want to be labeled a heretic. Um, but I'm in a good camp, too, and I'll mention some of those names uh, as well. So uh, some of the finer points that I've mentioned is for the other views. What do all millennialists believe? All millennialists uh, teach that there is a binding of Satan. There's a binding of Satan that is uh, described, or at least referenced, in the book of Revelation. Uh, and the Amel folks, they would say that this has already occurred in a sense, uh, which is what has allowed the gospel to uh, progress and for the good news to be proclaimed and for all of the nations, being all the different various people groups, to not be completely other, utterly deceived. Um, if Satan was allowed to run roughshod, um, he might be able to blind everybody, theoretically, from believing anything, but God makes sure that he calls those to himself who are his, and in doing so, with those individuals he's calling to himself, Satan has been bound. Now, there's an ultimate binding to come, uh, and that's a recurring theme in amillennialism. Uh, some of the other views, too, but particularly in amillennialism, where you might hear the phrase, already not yet. I don't know if you've ever heard that, or now not yet. Christ is already king, but not yet in the way that he will be. And we're going to pause there, so that's a little teaser, because we're going to finish up our look at the um, millennial view that we just now are starting this week. We'll finish that up next week. So uh, come back next week, 167 and a half hours from right now. Find us online at WFMD.com. You can find all the um, podcasts for the Faith Debate on the WFMD Facebook page. You can find them on my personal Facebook page. You can find me, Troy Skinner, on Facebook, on MeWe, on uh, Gab, on Parlor, and also at Household of Faith in Christ.com. 
Com. You can find links to all sorts of stuff there that I'm involved with uh, in the show, outside the show, that sort of thing. Household of Faith in Christ.com. Of course, the station's website, WFMV.com. Keyword Faith takes you right to the Faith of Faith page. Until next week, thanks so much for listening. God bless.